Hi, I'm Andy Psarianos. Hi, I'm Robin Potter. Hi, I'm Adam Gifford. This is the School of School Podcast. Are you an early years teacher struggling with lack of support for lesson planning? Foundations can help. Foundations is the new reception program from Maths No Problem. It's a complete reception package with workbook journals, picture books and online teacher guides all in one place. Visit mathsnoproblem.com today to learn more. Welcome to another episode of the School of School podcast with all the regulars, Andy, Adam and and me, Robin. Hi. Today, uh, I really want to bring up this topic because uh, it, it's come up a few times lately, but uh, it's about struggling students. I, you know, I see this or I hear about it from my kids where it seems like it's impossible to repeat a grade nowadays. They don't, no one wants to do that. And I mean, coming from the school's perspective, uh, is it really a bad thing for some kids who are, are not doing particularly well, they're they're behind on their learning to have to repeat? What do you think? Yeah, I, I, I'm shooting from the hip here. I'm just thinking, I have known people who have been in that position. I don't think it gave them any favours. I also, I also worry, I think there might be sound reasons why you need to, I don't know, do something again you know, or, or look at it in a different context. But I think my worry, the biggest worries are twofold. One is is the the impact it has on that child, because their you know their social group, children that they may have gone through years and years with and got to know and gone to the same parties and you know swimming lessons whatever, and then all of a sudden they're not with them anymore, and they're with a new group. I think that could be hugely difficult, uh, even though the. The, the reasoning behind it may be sound and there might be good reasons for it. I think the other thing that would worry me a bit is I know a huge amount of thought would be invested in deciding on that. But is it a bit of a get-out-of-jail card? Mm. Like, is it a bit of one of those that actually, should the child never have been put in that position in the first place and maybe we need to look a bit harder as to what we could have done to support that child or, or to bring them up to speed so they're with their peers. So my my initial reaction is, no, I don't I don't agree with it. I don't agree with it. Um, but I've seen some gaps in some children, and particularly getting into secondary school, that are so scary that the experience of that child in secondary school can only be horrific in class because of the gaps that they have. And so then there's, you know, maybe a stronger argument to go back and, and revisit these topics that perhaps some secondary schools aren't set up as well as to do because they might be things that are sort of primary school based. But my, my, my gut feel is, is that I don't think it's the right thing to do. What about you, Andy? I think it's a, compl- it's a very complicated question. I think there's probably some cases where mm. maybe it is the right thing to do, but, you know, singling out anybody and saying you're not as good as everybody else. And this is not the only way to do it. It's like putting them in the, you know, special help group or whatever. Um, singling out any any child. So we're talking about children really here, right? You know, not, not like, you know, like especially young children. You have to be pretty darn 
pretty darn clear about what it is that you're trying to achieve by doing that. Because, you know, there may be cases where it is the right thing to do. There may be. I don't know, right? I, I don't know enough about it. It'd be, I don't know. Is there any data on this, I wonder, where, like research, where what happens to those children? Do they end up, statistically, do they end up doing better when that happens? Or Because the, the, the flip side is also equally as dangerous, which is accelerating them into the next year, right? Which I, I know several children who that has happened to. And some of them did remarkably well. But is it because of that? <laughs> is that really what it is? I can guarantee you it wasn't the reason that they did particularly well, you know? What, what's the problem we're trying to solve when we do it? You know, is it is it to is it for them or is it for the teacher? Like, so if you've got a class where there's one or two which are clearly struggling, clearly struggling, clearly not where they should be, it's really inconvenient for the teacher, right? It's really inconvenient for the teacher. So is that the is that the reason that we're we're putting those kids back, or is the reason something else? Is it because we want to help those kids. And I don't know, I don't, you know, I don't know. I'm just asking more questions here. I was held back a year. Uh, I was held back a year in secondary school. My, like my, look, my secondary, I, we talked about this in another podcast. My secondary school experience was so horrible. You know, I was such a bad student, not a bad person, but a bad student that, you know, it, it, I was held back in year 10. Uh, because I failed English, uh, so we had to take two English courses. One was was uh, uh, I don't know what they were called. One was literature. I don't. The other one was just called English. I think. So I failed both of those. Um, I failed math. I failed physics. Uh, I failed biology, or was it physics? I don't remember if it was physics then. Um, anyway, like science. I, I basically failed all the all the subjects that you have to pass. I failed every single one of them, and history was the other one that I failed. Right. So, like, you, you know, I think the only classes I passed were uh, PE and drama. Right. So should I have been held back? Well, if you put me through, what message are you sending? Yeah, exactly. Right. I, yeah. Well, this is it. Not to to get too specific on your your report card from. No, no. But that's the school, question, though. Right. I, like, I, no, no, I know. I, I, no, I agree. But. And you're you're a perfect example, uh, you know, of of that question. Sh- should they have or shouldn't they have? But going back it makes a to joke of young everybody kids, else that worked hard. I failed because I didn't go to class, right? I didn't do any of my homework. Yeah, that right. And and that's it. Is I Adam brought up the you know the point of how is that uh, as a as a little kid who is held back from all their peers, you know that. Yeah, if you do it in year two, impact emotionally on them. You know, how, how are they going? Are they going to struggle from then on in with their own, you know, self worth? Uh, am I good enough? And you know, I, and so like you said, there there should be a study done on that kind of thing. When I was a kid, there were kids that were held back, and I have no idea how they ended up doing in the long run. Um, but it must have been very, very upsetting for them. Uh, but then. You've got a whole different topic, Andy, going into high school, because I do see kids now who do not put in the work. They don't go to class. They don't hand in things, and they still pass. 
And I think, what what message is that sending? So I think there's two different... But exactly, I agree. I think yeah. there are two... I think there's two parts to this. I think the difficulty yeah. is, is that when you get to secondary school, you've got a very clear set of criteria for every individual subject. So it's a lot easier to pinpoint, you know, where was, where's yeah. this child doing it? And I also think that you, there's a level of maturity when you're in secondary school. If it's, if it's just well-known, if it's known to you, right... If you go into whatever it is, wherever you are around the world, however it's described, but when you go into secondary school, if you don't pass this, 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 and this, and this, and this, you repeat your year. And I think there's a level of maturity that, that anyone who's old enough to be in secondary school, whilst they're not fully mature, you're mature enough to, to realise, okay, this is really easily measurable, and I get it. And so if I don't do it, that's where it happens. I suppose that that makes that job a lot easier because every subject has its own pass fail. So so it's 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 a lot easier to make that decision. I suppose what I'm talking about is in primary school where there's less of that and particularly when children are young because I think that what we know now I'd like to think more so with with you know every year that passes and and more research into it is that children learn at different rates, but it doesn't make them less able to learn. And so I think that when children are young, it's very difficult to, to have sort of clear-cut ideas about whether or not, you know. And, and I've got to be honest, I'm not too, I you know, I, I don't know that I've heard in the time that I've been out here, children being held back in primary school. So I've been out here about 18 years, but uh, yeah. So it certainly I'm happened when I was sure in primary stuff. school. It happened when I was in primary school, for sure, in New Zealand, that without question. But I'm going to question something that you said. You said you said that people mm. learn at different rates. I don't think you can measure the rate that somebody that somebody learns at, because I think people learn in different at different levels of complexity, which those who learn at the highest levels of complexity are often the ones that perform at the lowest level, right? And, and by that, what I mean is, is that if you can imagine someone is building, and this has been kind of shown several times in the past, right? And there's different ways, but you can only look at it in a long view. If you're busy developing a really complex, seriously interrelated model of the world in your mind, you are not going to be able to articulate anything meaningful for a long time. But then you may emerge later on having this tremendous insight, right? So, and later later on being almost revered as a as an intellectual, but as a young age, you were just you were actually seen as a struggling because some people can learn very superficially very quickly, right? And Piaget talks a little bit about this is like they can accommodate a lot of stuff very quickly or not accommodate, assimilate lots of stuff very quickly. But what they can't do is make those really complex, um, you know, relationships between things. So all too often you see people who seem to struggle through school, but they, they, they struggle to perform at school. It's not that they weren't learning. They just didn't perform the way we wanted them to. But then later on became almost, you know, superhuman, right? And you see that 
And they're able to pull things together in ways that people, you know, whether it's a tremendous intuition or a, an incredible ability to create, you know, associations between, you know, and, and it can be in any discipline. It could be in, in wit, in literature, in mathematics, in physics, in art, you know, where they have these incredibly brilliant creative minds that just blow you away. You look back at their schooling and their schooling was horrible, right? Like this just didn't work for them. You know, so is it that we're learning at different paces or we're just learning differently? Well, I think what I mean by that, I don't mean like a, a constant in terms of rate. No, I know. But, but I, think, I think what I mean is, is that <laughs> what we see, and yeah, performance may be a better word for it, or there's something that makes like one piece of the puzzle that makes the rest click and opens it up for us. So we might overcome, you know, one hurdle. And, and that allows us to then understand these other areas that we know we understand, but we've not been able to make sense of completely until, you know, we make that, that link with something else. And I guess what I'm saying is, is that trying to establish when children are very young, whether or not they understand, whether or not they are learning, all mm. of that, that is incredibly difficult. It is incredibly difficult, and made far more so because they can't. They're, they're not eloquent, you know, at, at a young age. They're not as able to talk about ideas and concepts, even though they may have them. They might just not have the language to the help us understand mm -hmm. where they're at. And so mm -hmm. I think that, that that's that's sort of what I was trying to say was that where it seemed to be done this now again this is my memory right only because i think that I, I, maybe it impacted on me even though it didn't happen to me in, in primary school it happened to some mates but it's obviously had quite a profound effect because i feel quite emotive about the subject and, and i maybe i just thought it was a sense of unfairness towards those children at a young age um and I think now, you know, I'd be very, uh, yeah, I wouldn't want to be put in a position where I was having to make that decision. I think it would be an incredibly difficult, complex one for children at a young age. So is it ever okay? Is it ever okay? I, like, let's go look back at the young age. Is it ever okay? What would What would a good reason be? What would it look like? Well, this is where I was going to pose this question to you, because when I lived in the Middle East, this happened kind of regularly, where and it was boys, so I'm sorry to point out, boys, for some reason, tended to have uh, poor, a few of them had, they hadn't developed their, their uh, fine motor skills, for example. We're talking like early, early years, you know, and uh, there were a few instances where parents were asked if they would want to hold back their boys because they didn't have, the, they didn't have, I think, verb the the verbal skills or the fine motor skills like to hold a pencil properly or anything and it was suggested or recommended by the school to keep those kids back a year and so like i'm saying this is like five years old maybe and some of the parents ignored that advice and their kids went on and and some of them did hold back their their boys for a year i don't know if it's right or wrong i'm just kind of putting it back on YouTube. So if you look at five-year-olds, five-year-olds, the difference between, uh, you know, a kid that's a kid that's like five years and 11 months and a kid that's five years mm -hmm. is massive. Yeah. 
right. and it was the young five-year-olds. It, it tends to be the young ones, right? Yeah. So I think there is there is an argument at that stage because I think I think at that stage you you can minimize the impact because they're not really they haven't developed the sort of peer group and so on and so forth, and they they're younger and they're probably more able to as you know as long as you're not telling them we're holding you back because you're not good enough. I mean, they'll probably work it out eventually anyway, but I think that I think that there's an argument to do it there. Look at Malcolm Gladwell's work on uh, uh, hockey players, right? Mm-hmm. Where, you know, he basically said, you know, based on, you know, if you're born at the beginning of the year, you're more likely to become a professional hockey player because you're more likely to be outstanding when you're young and therefore, you know, be singled out and get the better training, the better coaching, the better opportunities. You're always playing with people who are a bit younger than you, right? So that's an interesting concept, you know, and it's shown in sports that that for sure makes a big difference. There, There is an argument, I think, at that age uh, for doing it for those kinds of reasons. But I don't know that the reasons that you singled out are necessarily the reasons. They may just be manifestations of the reasons. Maybe. Yeah, like the fact that a kid can't hold a pencil isn't a reason to hold them back. Um, but if he can't hold a pencil because he hasn't developed enough yet to be, and that's just a indication of, of the problem. It's not, that's not the problem, I guess, is what I'm saying, right? You know, whether or not you can hold a pencil properly, that's, that can, a teacher can deal with a kid who can't write in the classroom in year one, you know, um, or can't write legibly. Um, most kids can't write legibly actually in year one, I would imagine, I mean, it depends what you mean by legible, right? Like, I think there's a skill for year one teachers to read writing of year one students. But Adam, look, you know, what do you, what's your take on that? I mean, what? Well, I think, I think, yeah, the, the only time where, well, first of all, like parents can choose in terms of reception year group. So for that's, you know, four years old, that sort of age group. So it's a very young thing. And like you're saying, Andy, I mean, if you look at it at reception, you know, it's a massive proportion of their life difference compared, you know, from from the youngest to the oldest. And I think that, you know, that's parental choice. So that's fine. You know, like to me, when you get parents involved in that at such a young age and you've not quite got, say, the social group set up or, or... other aspects to take into consideration. So that's that's a little bit, I guess, easier. Beyond that, though, when you get into schooling from year one, the only time that I would, if, if it was ever to come up, I don't feel qualified enough to make a decision. So what I would need to do is to make sure that I've got some pretty clever people in their field to help me make a judgment because I certainly don't feel qualified enough to make that decision. I think at primary school, when I grew up in New Zealand, so I was in primary school in the 70s, I, I, I imagine it was just the teachers making a decision based on their experience. But as I sit here, I don't feel like I... I don't, I, I don't feel... Yeah, I, I, I just... I'm probably heavily, heavily influenced by how I felt about friends... Um, being kept back or, or and not and not being with their social group anymore and the kind of impact that had on them that's as a child I imagine that their learning was also affected in some way shape or form but what I couldn't tell you is whether that was a positive or negative impact on them um, but I imagine given the choice they'd probably wanted to stay with their 
peer group that they've grown up with. Agreed. Yeah, absolutely. And and again, talking about, you know, a five-year-old versus a eight-year-old, uh, that's very different when it comes to a peer group. So not that I'm saying you should hold back five-year-olds, but, I, you know, if you're talking to the parents and it's an option for some really valid reason, I don't know what that reason would be, uh, that's that's one thing. But, you know, just to say, oh, actually, we're holding this child back and this child's, you know, eight or nine years old, that that would have, a, I think, some serious ramifications in all kinds of ways. And it sounds like Adam, you've experienced that through your friends. So, yeah, yeah, not yeah, not personally, thank goodness. No. But um, <laughs> but yeah, but but I, I just think I just think now I think we moved on to using professionals more, perhaps. Now again, I, I might have a really skewed view because I was a kid in primary school in the seventies, so it wasn't like I was you know, asking teachers what process they went through and did you consult you know the various experts in their fields before making this decision. I just suspect that there was that there was probably less of that, and, and we probably weren't as aware of how to support those children that may be seen as just I don't know. Well, there are all sorts of terms used for for, for children um, that that just weren't performing with their peers, uh, and I think we're a bit more sophisticated now, and I hope we're better uh, at supporting those children. And I suppose if you're in a school where this is a really common issue, and it does happen, and it, it, you know, um, I know here, for example, in British Columbia, um, one of the areas where where there are there is a huge range sometimes in classrooms is in in um, First Nations communities for a variety of socioeconomic reasons. There could be an argument for mixed-age classrooms being the best solution, you know, that actually that will, that will, that will solve some of those problems because you, you don't separate or there's an opportunity to, to keep the peer groups together even though people are, uh, I don't know, it's just something to think about, right? That's um, a whole new topic I was going to say, and that's our that's next a, topic, yeah, folks. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Stay tuned. Yeah. All right. Thank you joining us on the School of School podcast.